Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. In the world of startups, getting your business off the ground is not easy. There's so much that goes into developing your plans, your products, your testing, etc., etc., etc. Yet in 60 seconds or less, that dream of becoming a successful entrepreneur can come to an end. Why? Because their investor pitch deck was horrible. In fact, their investor pitch was also horrible. Now, I've seen this firsthand, and many entrepreneurs just don't understand when you have 60 seconds to explain why your product or your service can help save the world or next disruptive technology, you have to focus on that. Now, today, I have an expert, Jasmine Forutan, CEO of Pitch Genius, to offer up some advice on what a great and effective pitch deck should look like. But before we begin, I'm going to take a quick break. Your strategic plans are essential to managing your business's growth. Spend the time to develop a cohesive roadmap to follow to ensure your entire team is moving in the right direction. These plans should take the insights and the brand strategy work you've already completed to help you achieve your long-term business and growth objectives, as well as keep you competitive. These are actionable plans and should include the details of achieving your growth, including tactical implementations, timelines, budgets, and KPIs for success. Developing your plan is a team sport. Make sure you include the stakeholders from each of your strategic departments in your organization because everybody in the company is impacted by the success or failure of your plans. The following are six key questions to ask yourself. Do you have a clear understanding about what you're trying to achieve? Number two, what does your brand stand for in the eyes of your customers? Three, why do your customers buy from you? Four, what are your competitors doing? And five, What is your approach to sales? Where are your opportunities for revenue coming from? And number six, how can you differentiate yourself from your competition? Visit theponzigroup.com to learn more. As I mentioned, I have Jasmine Forwutan, CEO of Pitch Genius, to offer up some great advice on developing an effective pitch. Jack, Jasmine, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. This is... uh, this is always has been an interesting uh, conversation for me. I, I, I do some mentoring over at UCI and have dealt with a lot of, uh, of the startups over there. And, and I've never uh, ceased to amaze me that uh, when I get handed a 40 page pitch decks with solid uh, copy from edge to edge. And what do you think? <laughs> Here's what I think. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult thing. I mean, people also, I mean, first to know why pitch decks exist, right. It was like the evolution of the business plan. It's supposed to be short and sweet and grab attention and lead to more conversation. Um, but a lot of entrepreneurs seem to not get that, um, along with a host of other things, but yeah, it's, it's an issue. It's, it's definitely a roadblock for a lot of entrepreneurs who are trying to fundraise. Yeah, I, 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 and I'm. And that's why I'm really excited about this. I think there's going to be some great advice and insights for for those startups and and young entrepreneurs and frankly small businesses that are looking to uh, do next rounds of uh, of funding. But before we get going, why don't you tell the audience about you and about kind of an overview of your business? We're going to get into it deeper, but just have an overview. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm the founder and CEO of Pitch Genius, which I had officially launched about three and a half years ago. Um, And we focus on building investor pitch decks. And really, I've been doing that for the past five years (laughs) in my career and really just honing in on how what what and how is the best way to effectively pitch investors, open doors, book meetings, and and fundraise. And um, now five years later, 42% of my clients have successfully raised. So the methodology does work. And, you know, we're constantly paying attention to the market and figuring out new ways to improve it. Okay. Um, 
So before we get going and, and kind of dive into this, I, I like to ask my guests some questions. Yes, um, so I like to have consistency of questions. I love I love hearing these answers. So when it when it comes to growing your business, the the, the pitch genius business, what keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Um, I think so far it's been scaling the skill set, uh, you know, of of creating investor decks. It's that's been probably the biggest challenge of growing my own business, because in like pitching investors, as well as having that left brain, right brain, creative, as well as, you know, logic and just intellect side of, of knowing how to pitch investors and then do it in a creative way. It's kind of difficult to find that within people and groom them into that position. Um, and so that's, that's been the most difficult thing, but it's also just forced me to not to not only get better at what I do, but to figure out how to teach other people what I do and how I think and, you know, how to actually create it. So it's been a challenge, but a good one. Okay. And, and, and if I'm not mistaken, you've now grown from yourself. You have employees working for you as well? Yep. Yeah. We're a team of four. And then we, we have a whole design team that's kind of attached to us. We have multiple partners that are attached to us, but day to day, it's, it's the four of us just kind of hammering out decks and you know i'm lead creator content writer i have a lead on research i have a lead on design and then someone who manages operations so between the four of us things are going pretty well it's good okay what is the best business advice you've been given and or you've given mm. um within the context of what we're talking about and who our audience really is for this podcast, I would say um, take advice from advisors with a grain of salt. Um, ultimately, you know why you started the business and you had a gut feeling. And as much as it's, of course, important to listen to your customers and the market and to listen to the, the data that's around you, um, there are plenty of advisors and plenty of people who think they know how to run your business, who think they know exactly how to scale your business. And you always need to take that advice with a grain of salt. You can't um, not people, people think they know, but ultimately you're the one that needs to decide. So uh, people will tell you how to scale your business and how to run your startup all the time. And you just need to take it with a grain of salt. So I think that's been that invaluable for me. You know, what, what's interesting, and, and we were talking before we started this, is is uh, I recently a attended a pre-COVID um, when we could do things live in person. I watched about 20 people pitch, and and most of them, frankly, didn't do very well. Um, a lot of them ne never even got through their decks. Some of them actually never even got into their decks. But one of the curious things and for me, and, and maybe this is some insights for the audience, is and following what you just said, if people are making judgment calls about the viability of your business in a, such a short period of time, yeah. is there a, a psyche, if you will, or a formula that on the other side of the fence that the investor is listening? What are those, what are those key things that the investor is potentially listening to for them to make a judgment call that your business is viable? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they, they first, they're definitely testing and trying to see if you're coachable or, or um, either coachable or just have that ultimate confidence in exactly what you're doing. And so that kind of, that usually comes out in the Q and a where they ask these hard hitting questions and either uh, the entrepreneur has those answers and they've thought through that strategy or it kind of falls flat because they pitched and they said everything and included everything they were need they needed to include in the pitch, but they actually hadn't really flushed out the execution behind that money and, and that strategy. So um, I think that confidence and that real execution strategy is one thing. And then another thing I think they're all looking for and, and testing is, does this entrepreneur understand and can he directly tell me why? Why now is a good time for this business opportunity? Why is now a good time for me to invest? And if I were to ask him directly, why should I invest in this? Would he have a solid answer? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two things that definitely come to mind. Those are two things that we make sure to answer within our decks every time that we make them. Okay. So as part of your service, you're developing the pitch deck, but are you also coaching? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, that's, I mean, it depends if the entrepreneur has uh, experience raising money in the past or not, but yeah, definitely throughout the process because we interview them and we basically question them like an investor would question them. Um, we, through that conversation, we are also coaching them and telling them like, Hey, you know what? That answer is not going to fly for an investor. And here are the reasons why this is how he's looking at it. This is from his perspective, what he's thinking. Um, so we need, we need to work on this strategy or we need to figure out like, how to remedy this this risk that you're basically presenting to him and or her. I was um, involved, this was a few years back with a startup and I've been working on all their strategy work and we were getting ready for the uh, the pitch. And one day the uh, the CEO shows up and he has a guy with him mm-hmm. and, and he says, well, this is whatever, Bob. And Bob is part of the angel investor group and, you know, I want to bring Bob in to kind of look at what we're doing, kind of grease the wheels as we get in there. And it was really interesting that that eventually Bob says, I want a percentage kind of pre pre pitch. <laughs> and the CEO told him, no, I'm, I'm making this as simple as I can remember it. Mm. So we walked into the meeting and the CEO stands up and Bob says, so before you start, do you still do, are you 100% working for your company now or you still have another job? Mm. And this guy says, well, I still have another job. He says, well, I don't understand this because you're asking me to commit my money to you and you're not committed mm. to your business. Mm-hmm. And the guy responds, well, you know, I have a family and stuff. And it just melted right after that. Totally. And and he was set up. And, and that was one of the things I learned early on. And, and even so in developing my own businesses, if you're not 100 percent committed and it's a and it's a side hustle, you, you know, nobody really wants to take that gamble. Absolutely. Yeah. Angela, what you just brought up is is so is key. And and there I've had so many different conversations where clients and or, you know, just people I'm mentoring are raising money. And then I say, okay, well, in your use of funds, because you are obviously working full time elsewhere, and that's great, and you need to make ends meet. But in your use of funds, have you included salaries for yourself, just enough to get by, but so you can quit your full time jobs? And, do and, you know, and then it becomes a waiver of like, oh, well, do I really want to do that? Do I really not? It doesn't matter. The investor is going to expect the second that he puts his money in that you are full time working on just this to make sure that it's successful and to make sure that you're executing on it. Because the second you take that money, now it's a game of raising your valuation with every month that goes by. And if you can't do that for the investor, then his value and his investment and his return on investment goes to shit. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's very, very important having that full commitment for yourself even, right? Like, everything that we're talking about is also in the best interest of that founder and of that startup. Like if you are going to raise money, you need to be a hundred percent into it. It's, it's required by the investor and it's also important for you to do for yourself. So. Yeah. I, that was a, that, that was an incredible lesson learned. And, and I know that um, when I, when I started my first business, which, which was in and out of the market in eight months, uh, we self-funded and, and it was, what I thought was a brilliant idea, but apparently not so much. Um, and it was seven years later when I started my second one that eventually, you know, grew and led to something, but it was not something you could do on the side. I tried the side things while I was working for somebody else and it was just, it just never worked. And, and only when you kind of jumped in feet first. And I I think that's a good lesson and some great advice because why should I commit if you're not committed? And I think that's the key. It's also about, it's about focus, right? That's another thing that comes up, especially in relation to the pitch deck. You know, if if an investor sees a deck and there are too many execution strategies, too many markets that the founder is looking at, all of a sudden they they lack focus, right? And that's a big topic that keeps coming up over and over and over and over and again. So um, 
investors really want to make sure, yes, that you have that focus and you are fully committed to this this one venture and maybe one to two markets that you are just tackling and going after to get that level of traction needed to keep to keep going. So yes, focus and commitment. It's like they're they're almost one and the same. You know, one of the things and, and I'm jumping around here, I I usually have a I have a plan, but this is a great conversation. I'm just going with the flow. <laughs> so um you know one of the things I, I, I hear and sometimes see but hear is you know, we only need 1% of this $5 billion market and look at all the money we're going to make. And my response is always, okay, so how are we going to get there? Who's the competition? What's going on? And and a lot of times they they don't actually have the plan to get there as much as they carved out that niche for themselves and haven't really worked backward in that, those steps to get there. Do you find a lot of times when you start off talking to folks that that's pie in the sky, it's a dream and, and, but no real plan implementation to get there. Oh yeah. All the time, all the time. Um, you know, we ask, all right. So, you know, it's easy, it's easy for the company to talk about their history and what they've done, done to get to the point that they're at. But the second you ask them, okay. And so now that you're going to raise $5 million for 18 to 24 months of runway, right. To last you 24 months, what do those 24 months look like, right? What are you going to spend money on? What does your burn rate look like? And it's a huge, it becomes a huge question mark. And a lot of the times we're able to give them, a lot of the times it's something that they haven't just written down and they haven't fully flushed out how to talk about it and say it. So we kind of give them homework. Others just need full on mentorship to figure out what, what that looks like. But yeah, no, it's a question that plenty of founders cannot answer. I've been to pitch competitions where, um, you know, the founder mentioned, oh, and, you know, we're raising $20 million and 50% of it's going to go to marketing. And the first question from the investor judge, the judge who was an investor is, okay, and what are you using $10 million on for marketing? And what kind of marketing are you doing? And (laughs) her response was like, (laughs) "Uh, yeah. And I was just like, ah, that sucks. Like it's, it's, it it's a shame <laughs> first of all it's a shame that that was like her representation of the company but also um yeah i know founders do that all the time and and that's that's again ultimately the mistake of oh i know what a pitch deck is i know what i need to include in it so i'm just going to say all of these things and include these 10 slides but like the actual meat behind it is is very weak so um yeah founders do that all the time not sure why so uh, my my last question here for you then before we well we are into it but I want to go back and ask this question yeah if your career so far was a book what would the title be it's genius <laughs> I'm just kidding um, I I make jokes about that all the time because <laughs> it's I mean I I love the name of the company it's just you know, it's a great name, actually. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was just me for the longest time. Of course, I have this vision of like, you know, developing pitch geniuses all over the world. But while it's just me, I just joke about the fact that it's me, I am the pitch genius. And it's just like a funny thing I I have with my friends. Um, What would the title of the book be? Um, (laughs) I'm gonna say I don't know why this just popped into my mind. But commit don't quit that's a good title right it is a good title i like that (laughs) actually it's a good title for a lot of things that's um that's it's it's difficult and you know this it is it's not easy it's easy to start a business i i say i i when a lot of my presentations i have this chart and it shows this kind of climbing this hill and all the obstacles that are in front of you as a business. Mm -hmm. And there's a a stat that I use, but I say planning is easy. It's the implementation that's hard. And and this stat that I use is that 90% of business leaders say their, their strategies fail because of poor implementation. And so it's, it's, it's not coming up with the idea. It's, it's really designing that. And, you know, for me personally, that's kind of the world I live in is, is, as a, as a marketing strategist and architect, which is kind of the word that's been being used to describe me lately. I might grab that one. 
but but really designing how all this is going to happen. But somebody still has to implement it. And, and I find so many times in the work that I do is once I'm not in control of it anymore, because as a fractional person, my usually, you know, three, six, nine months and I'm gone and, you know, they have the direction and they run with it. And, and a lot of times I'll go back and, you know, check in with the client and it's like, what are you doing? You, everything we worked for a year ago, you're not even implementing anymore. Why? Because you brought in somebody new and you, and you got off course. I, I did have a compliment from a, a client of mine who I finished the assignment last summer and I sat on their board and we had a board meeting recently and he leaned over to me and said, see, we're implementing everything you said. And I said Thank you for letting me, letting me know you noticed we're achieving your objectives. So um, I'll take the credit on that one. That's awesome. Now, yeah. when you, when you, when you got out of school, it, it appears you ended up in an investment group, right? Yeah. And, and so was that your first exposure to pitch decks? Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, so I have a degree in entrepreneurship uh, from LMU, and much of that program is built around building fake pitch decks and doing pitch competitions. And so I had exposure there. Um, but then the real world exposure, yes, came with working directly with angel investors and, you know, sitting inside of a Techos Angels room and watching endless amounts of pitches and then watching the founders leave the room and then listening to the angels deliberate over which investments, which opportunities they were willing to invest in, why, why not? Um, and it was fascinating. It became, oh, yeah. it was just so clear that any founder that walked into that room had a bad, bad pitch deck or just botched their pitch, there was silence once they left. Nobody, nobody even heard Nobody even heard their pitch. There was no discussion to be had because they actually just weren't even listening. And me being like the young, bright-eyed person I was at that time, I could tell those businesses had some merit to it. They were exciting. It was just the pitch was horrible. But if you're pitching investors that have seen and done this over and over again, you know their attention span is so low that they they could not even give them the time of day and listen. And and hey, it makes sense. You know, you have, you get invited into an angel group, you get invited to come pitch a VC, you better be prepared and it better be a good pitch. You know, mm -hmm. don't waste your time. Don't waste their time. Um, but anyways, yeah, that experience was, was invaluable. And it really, that's what got me to adopt that investor mindset as far as, okay, I'm going to build pitch decks, but build it from the investor's perspective. At that point, decided to leave, <laughs> saw an opportunity to build pitch decks. And so I did. And now five years later, I mean, it, it's really been my main focus in my career. And it's it's been kind of, it's awesome. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it from as I'm starting to get to know you and about your business, it's, it's pretty significant. I mean, man, talk about a fly on the wall Yes. to, to really sit behind, you know, the curtain and hear all this stuff. Um, it's, I had an opportunity, one of my clients early on in, when I had my, was beginning of my ad agency days. So I went from my second business. I always started as a consultant and I was a consultant to ad agencies. And at one point in time, I, I said to myself, why am I making these people money? I want to start doing it myself. So one of my early assignments was a, as a market researcher. I have a research background for Pacific Sunwear. And you know that brand? No. Okay. It's a, it's a, a teen millennial, if you will, apparel brand focusing a lot of action sports oriented kind of clothing. And so we, I would travel around the country doing focus group research. And, and I did it for nine years. Amazing. But every time as the company grow, grew, more and more attention came from a lot of the leaders in the industry and they started showing up. And one of the things I kept hearing about in, in the kind of the post discussions of what they just heard is, man, we wish there was more research like this. There just is no research in this industry. And one day I went, hmm, okay, you're, I got an idea. And I went and I formulated it and went and actually back to the PacSun people and said, hey, what do you think about this? They said, well, if you do that, number one, we can't use you anymore because we think it's a conflict of interest. However, we'll buy what you do. And so I did. I, I, I quit that, uh, resigned that uh, uh, client. But then I created this uh, uh, company called BoardTrack, 
And for the next 13, 14 years, it, we became the de facto standard in the action sports industry and, you know, worked with brands, everything from, you know, Nike and, and Adidas down to, you know, DC shoes and Etnies and surf, skate and snow was our focus. And so I got to travel around the country presenting and all this kind of stuff. It, I, I love that. I love that. And it's, that's almost like an uh, insight into like, data-driven business intelligence, right? Like that research piece is so, so critical. Um, so I can imagine that that was, that was a great business. It's also something that we do for our companies all the time is dig into the research of the market and sizing the market properly. And again, really exploring like why, why are these target markets buying or spending money on this thing that you want to launch? Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of science and, and research behind business. Right? It's not just all gut feeling. It's like you can measure it to a certain extent. Well, there, there should be. And yeah. that's always been a, a kind of an argument over the years with, with clients is investing in research. I typically get, well, it's too expensive or it takes too long. And it, oh. and it really doesn't. There's lots of different ways from using <clears throat> secondary research or doing qualitative or quantitative or predictive analytics, those kinds of things. And that's kind of part of, for me is where I focus on insights, use that research to help define, and, and that research also includes competition and things like that, defining positioning and messaging from a strategic and analytical standpoint, and then getting into the planning. And then once the plans are developed, then if there's kind of the tactical approach we talked about, where are you going to spend your 10 million on marketing? Right. That plan exists. And right. then, you know, I work with either internal teams or, or, partners to, to do the execution. That's, that's see, and that, so that research investment though, ensures that all of your other investments make sense. I've, I've had, I've come across plenty of founders and clients who are $75,000 deep into their startup. Don't know what market spending is like, have not done any research on the market that that's risky to me. That's expensive to me. So no, the research is totally worth it. Everybody should invest in research. I mean, the really entrepreneurship 101, the first thing you should be doing is research. That's, that's kind of a part of the, that's just a part of the process. So. Well, I'm going to uh, record this. Yeah. I am recording this. So I'm going to yeah. take this little clip around with me and play it for all of my potential <laughs> clients. You, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I was, at, uh, over at UCI and I was called in to help one of the startups and they had already, you know, built their model and were going along and it was a, a, a kind of a subscription shoe model mm. where you would, you know, get targeting primarily young women, you, you get your pair of shoes, you wear them as long as you want, you send them back, they donate it. And in, in principle, it's not a bad idea, but I started challenging them on just some basic principles. I, I have all boys. So, uh, I have my wife, but other than that, I have all boys. And I, the last thing she'd ever want to do is go get shoes on the internet. And, you know, they, she likes to go to the shoe store and then everybody I talk to likes to go to the shoe store. So when I said to them, did you do research? Oh, absolutely. So, so who did, who'd you talk to? Well, my mom, my sister, my cousin, oh, yeah. my friends, they all thought it was a fantastic idea. <laughs> so, Okay. So yeah. do you run into that a lot because I it's the friends and family love it and therefore of course yeah absolutely and it's so obviously it's bias you can't ask your family and friends for validation or advice obviously they all just want to be supportive and and love on you and support this new venture that you're going on and that's great but yeah imagine imagine explaining that to the investor, right? Like what kind of primary or what kind of surveying have you done? Oh, well, I talked to my friends and family and they all love it. Yeah, my mom loves it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. And now I can, now I'll look at the next investment opportunity. So I was working with a, a company in the, in the founder and he actually was brilliant, came up with this great program. We came out of the environmental engineering world. He was in his eighties and but our target audience was moms to, uh, and the user was a 16, 17 and eight year old high school student. And man, we went round and round and round for months that, you know, it was like, you are not the target audience. You can't in interject what you think that, uh, you know, a 40 year old mom and their 17 year old son or whatever are going to react to. Totally. And boy, we debated this thing forever. And um, it took a long time for him to finally say, okay, 
yeah. maybe I'm not. Right. Yeah. So that that's like that's touching on two different two things, which is first of all, people that are more technical definitely have a harder time pitching and understanding the audience and catering to that. Um, and understandably, so there's nothing wrong with it. They just need a little more support and love. Some people totally get it. But it also brings up the point that um, some founders become so obsessed with the idea and so obsessed with their gut feeling that they had with it, they can't see or listen or do anything beyond that. And that's dangerous as well. Um, so like you're basically killing the agility of the company the second you hold on to the original idea so hard or you are so unwilling to expand your mind and pivot and kind of worm your way through what the market actually wants. So um, yeah, yeah, founders get stuck. Yeah, and that's a great point. It's about understanding what the market and really wants or needs, not what you think they want or need. I, I, I always talk about, you know, the field of dream syndrome, build it and they will come. It, it doesn't really work that way. And, and, and a lot of times to your point that the founders get so lost working with a, a telemedicine startup about a, two years ago mm-hmm. and they came to us and they say, we're, we're going to go and we're making a pitch for, for some investors, but we need to really decide what our feature set is. And they gave us a laundry list of like 25 <laughs> features. You know, we want all of these. And and my point was, I'm not sure you need all of these. Let's go out into the marketplace. And so we actually went out and talked to doctors. It was to, you know, who would use this? And we were able to do all this segmentation work and yada, yada, yada. The end of the day, they needed five. Five features crossed different generations of doctors, Mm -hmm. which meant, you know, less time, less money, quicker to market. And and so that's what they ended up doing. And and when their pitch was to really fine tune it, show they had all this other stuff. Right. But more importantly, they really done their homework. And we've been involved in a a lot of those over the years from a research standpoint and really helping to prop that up. Yeah, definitely. I I did want to go back to when you started about talking your business. You just kind of one day was like. I watched all this and I started a business, yes. but did you just kind of, it was Monday morning. I woke up and said, I'm going to start a business today. Or did you yourself take the time and, and develop your own plan and mm. do your own research? And, and is it a viable opportunity? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely did. So I, um, so I, I first decided, okay, I want to work for myself. And then pitch decks were the marketable skill that I had. So I was just making pitch decks as a side hustle and working in restaurants as a hostess full time in Santa Monica and wherever else in downtown. Um, and that was fun. But then once I realized, no, there's actually a bigger opportunity here for pitch decks and helping people pitch investors. And I can build an entire company around this. The second I decided that I went straight into competition research and I still have that Excel sheet, but I went on to through every page on Google up to like the 25th page, found every single potential direct and indirect competitor. And then I made a whole long list of differentiators, features, what their offering was, what their pricing was, and filled out this massive Excel sheet with, let's say, 10 potential, like some direct and mostly indirect competitors. Um, that, that was so illuminating and that really kind of directed the entire offering, right? Because then I was able to see, okay, here are probably my closest competitors. Here are my price points, but I know I want to be premium, right? So I'm going to put my price here and I'm going to offer this. Um, and nobody is offering research as well as creating content from scratch and design. And then, so, so yeah, no, doing that competition research was the very first step I did. Um, And then, I mean, at that point I had so much primary research, if you will, and firsthand experience, just seeing how big of a problem it was. And also constantly reading articles and hearing investors say over and over again, and they still do, right? Founders are really bad at pitching (laughs) and they don't get it. And like, why are pitch decks so bad? It was, there was a huge buzz around it, a buzz about it around that time as well. So that was kind of all I needed to make the plunge. Once I decided I was going to commit to it while of course, working full time elsewhere um, at the, at the beginning stages of it, I, I knew I was going to be able to generate revenue from it. I was like, there's no way that this isn't going to be successful. Um, 
And I, I was right. I, and that's just because there was a massive need for it. The need was obvious. The need was obvious. So um, did, did you have a client when you when you decided to do this or did you take the leap without any business? Um, I no, 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 no. First, I just started off by doing um, I first I started off by doing workshops. I put together a meetup in downtown called Pitch Decks or Startup Pitch Decks 101. Um, and and that was actually a part of my research process as well, right? That was a part of my primary research and helping me myself develop the consulting skills to like talk in front of people. So I challenged myself to do that. Um, <clears throat> and I probably did three or four meetups before I got my first client. And then from there, it just kind of snowballed into this amazing referral system and trust and reputation that people kind of know me for now. Yeah, fantastic. I, I love that. I mean, it's a, <laughs> I, you know, there's so many businesses that I work with that uh, that have been around for 30 years that that do the annual uh, competitive analysis. And, and certainly they don't dig into it like I think they should. As a matter of fact, I I've even I have an ebook on how to establish a competitive intelligence program. Mm. I mean, I've mapped the whole thing out for people. It, 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 it just amazes me. And and just simple things that I see that, if, again, to this day, I get amazed when I'm dealing with somebody that's been around for 30 years. And it's like, you know, where are these things? I was dealing with a company last year and they were you know, showing me their SWAT. Mm -hmm. And I said, have you been doing these all along? And they said, oh, yeah. I said, well, can you give me like the last five or six years? And they brought them out and I spread them out. They were almost identical. <laughs> it's like, you know, you actually have to do something with this stuff, not just write it on a piece of paper. Right. Exactly. And and like, I mean, if, especially if you're B2B, right, you're the people that are coming to you are looking elsewhere or it doesn't even matter if you're B2B. They are looking elsewhere. They're looking at all their options. They're on the Internet. They can find three other alternatives fairly easily. You're going to need to know why you're different from your competitors and how yeah. to sell them on your service versus the, the three other, four other quotes they may have gotten. So, yeah, I was doing a consulting call yesterday and, and they were saying, you know, they wanted to pivot and, you know, what, what should I do to pivot my business? And I said, if you could only do one thing, go talk to your customers, mm -hmm. find out why they hired you. Have you ever mm -hmm. asked that question? Mm -hmm. No. Do you ever ask the people that you didn't win why they didn't hire? No. So that's a place to start understanding what were those motivations and behaviors that you exhibited or your competitors that helped differentiate you and then see if those kind of play now into the into your communications, if you will, your messaging. And to me, and, and this, this business has been around for I don't know, five, about four years. And it's just it was just people don't talk to their customers. I don't understand why that doesn't work. But. So tell me a story. You, you opened up by saying 42 percent of uh, our uh, of our clients get funded. So tell me tell me a story that maybe an interesting story of someone who said, no, I don't want to listen to you or they did listen to you or that that kind of a kind of a process that that uh, ending up in something successful. Let's go there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to leave names out and yeah, start names out because everything is obviously confidential but i had a client come to me who was actually not only had become like stepped into posi the position of being a ceo of a startup or interim ceo but he was also an advisor for an accelerator that that i advise for as well um but regardless like I think he came to me on a Tuesday, late 5 p.m. on a Tuesday and said, hey, I need a pitch deck done by Friday. We have a huge presentation that we need to prepare for. And um, I always love those calls, right? Because it's like, are you challenging me to make a pitch deck within 24 hours, 48 hours? Challenge accepted. So um, and just to show you how nerdy I am at this point about creating pitch decks, but it was, I love the challenge. But anyways, he came to me in this huge uh, fog and rush for needing something, had no market research or needed more market research, but had great traction. And it was like, okay, great. And, and that's just to say, I mean, every this is for everyone, right? Like your pitch deck does not make you it can break you though, right? So yeah. don't think the pitch deck is the only thing you need to be successful. Like these guys had such amazing traction and we got to really highlight that. 
But within the, let's say, 72 hours I had to do the market research and really dig into why, um, not only did we effectively like size the market and define exactly what the motivations were B2C and B2B to purchase, you know, uh, and invest in this um, wellness application. That, that was the offering. It was a wellness app. Um, but the research was so insightful that they pivoted their entire company towards just focusing on B2B and having the B2C kind of be this natural organic thing that happens. Um, they successfully raised a lot of money, let's say a hundred, a hundred million plus. <laughs> and then as well as that CEO himself decided that he was going to um, step down from that company and start his own wellness <laughs> company. <laughs> and, he, and he always comes back and he's like, you like that, that week and that research and like every, like just what you highlighted in that moment for me was so illuminating. It like, so it not only successfully raised for the company he was, he was with, it, it literally like transitioned him out of that company and into something else. So these are his words. This is what he says. Like, great. Wow. I can't believe I made such <laughs> masterful impact on you. But, but that, I mean, it really just goes to show the power of, of research and, um, and, and of course, as well as a startup that has a great opportunity and, and, and traction. But I think that's my biggest success story. I can't, I, we have plenty, but that's one that will always stick out to me. Oh, that's great. That, that thank, Congratulations. That's wonderful. And, and again, it, and I'm not saying this because I'm a researcher, but I mean, the power of that, those insights that you can find. And, and I tell people it isn't the, isn't the, the, the research per se, it's, it's finding the nuggets that the, the, really those nuances that you can really spin your business on or your messaging on or help define your growth opportunities we worked in a lot of uh, we call it market opportunity studies is, you know, what I don't care how long your business has been in business. Is there an opportunity for you to continue growing in the vertical that you're in or do you need to pivot and look at other verticals or the new market extensions, blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And and to me, that helps paint the path, whether you're a startup or an ongoing business. I mean, you just can't keep going. A lot of the conversations I have today is we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> and, and and you need to understand the market that you're competing in, what's happened in that market and what's happened to your current clients. You might be sitting there saying, OK, we're I've got my inventory now in from China or whatever, and now we're going to ramp it up. But meantime, your market could be really struggling. And now you've got to go find other opportunities or you're just sitting on a lot of inventory that, you know, is not doing you any good. So that so there's that constant finger on the pulse of the market, as I like to say. It, it isn't a one and done. It isn't an annual review. It is ongoing and it's constant. And I have had opportunities throughout my career where clients did do quarterly tracking studies or monthly reviews or whatever it happens to be. And the what we learned from those and were able to contribute, we, we were working on a wine client once and we were trying to totally reposition the company. And so we had tracking studies and we could literally tell which attributes were kind of molding to the way we wanted it to go and the ones we wanted to kind of downsize. But more importantly, we even knew the spend level that would start to watch those attributes go down or increase. And, and it was just the power of constantly being out in the marketplace and understanding. Totally. And uh, that's, that's a, a, another whole conversation. I have some great stories. Totally. And it's, it's also like, not that doesn't come nat that type of thinking does not come naturally to everyone. And that's me, myself included. Like, that my, I've always built business, sure, with research and gut feeling and paying attention to the market, but to that level of like, okay, and what dollar amount do we spend? And like, what, how do we look at the data? Or how do we, that's actually not my wheelhouse, but it's always something I've paid for because it, it's, or have brought mentors in or advisors, like you just need that support and you need that help. Also, often enough, what's interesting is when founders come to us, they haven't really figured out what their market is, but they're and we'll do the research for them. And the gut feeling was right. Of course, it was right. It's not like, you know, they decided to just build this business because there was no merit around it. Like their gut feeling is typically right. But then we explore all of these other pockets as far mm -hmm. as directions and or maybe things they were wrong about. Right. Like you were right about all of this. Your gut was on it. 
But these two things here, like your demographic actually feels the complete opposite way than you were assuming. So anyways, yeah. Yeah, a lot of power there. I know we're coming down to to a close and this has been, uh, I love this conversation. I think I could keep going for another couple hours, but <laughs> I know we can't. So uh, two more quick questions. And what do, what do people, when they come to you in your mind, what's the miss, what do they misunderstand about your business? I mean, there's a perception of what you do, but I, I'm sure they miss, there's a misunderstanding of, of what it is. And what is that? Yeah, uh, I think they, they constantly miss the fact, the, the level, like the depth that we do the depth of the work and the content and the research that we do because um, they so often are just looking for designers to do that to just make the deck look pretty but they don't realize that <laughs> pitch genius exists and we can actually go way deeper than that and actually make sure it's, it's effective um, so i think i think that's the miss another another big miss is there are plenty of founders that come to us at an idea stage no traction um, but they know they need a pitch deck and they're just ready to spend whatever they need to spend to create that pitch deck. Um, and they think, they think that we're the key to them making, you know, raising money. And we turn those clients away all the time because first of all, I just, I, I don't have the uh, gall to take someone's money when really they're supposed to be spending that on, on an MVP trying to figure out how to get traction. Like a pitch deck is so clearly not what they need at that time. And they're just coming out of not knowing that, you know, even if you have this deck, you're never going to raise money if you don't have, if you're just idea stage and, you know, and there's nothing really there. So, yeah, yeah. I, I had someone come to me one time and they said, I have this great idea for a business. And they described it to me. And I said, well, actually, that's a pretty good idea. He said, what I need is a logo. So do, well, do you have like a business plan or a, have you done any? Re no. No, I just need the logo when I get, yeah, well, sorry, <laughs> go call somebody else. Uh, Not what we do, yeah. It, so um, two more things then. What inspires you every day when you wake up? What what inspires you? That's a good question, considering where we, <laughs> where yeah. we are and what, what we're doing these days and the pandemic as things can seem so bleak. Um, what inspires me at, at this point, you know, as much as I love pitch decks and pitching investors and, you know, I, I, I love, I do love that. Um, I think what inspires me is growing, growing my team and growing my business in general. That's, that's become so much more exciting to me than, um, than doing the day to day client work. And I mean, I love that too. I love all of our clients. They're fascinating and that they're great to work with, but, waking up knowing first of all that I have a team to come to now like mm -hmm. the fact that I have three people on my team is mind-blowing and then I come in every day and we're all working together and I'm like what's happening how did we get here um, so I think that that's definitely what's inspiring me right now is there anything that we haven't really talked about so any tips or guidance that you want to sum this up with here's if I could only tell you two things or three things to my listeners, anything that we haven't missed or you want to make sure that we drive home here at the end? Yeah, I think it's, you know, as much as founders are really running around trying to please investors and trying to get their attention and say the right things and do the right things. Ultimately, we have to remember that investors have nothing to do without the founders <laughs> and investors don't get a return on their investment without founders. And it's really a mutual relationship. It's not something where we need to be on our hands and knees begging for anyone to give you money. That's not, I feel like that's often the, um, the vibe or the perspective I see founders having, which is like, I'll take money from anyone. And I always urge everyone to kind of, you know, stand up. No, this is a mutual relationship. You are doing your due diligence on those investors as well, because there's plenty of bad actors that you don't want to get involved with. And, um, and at the end of the day, the more you can walk into that room with the confidence that it is a mutual relationship and that you get to ask questions too. And while also providing them with the respect of giving a good pitch and, you know, and just creating that balance, the easier 
your first of all, your psyche will be in a better place because it's a very grueling and long process and the journey is tough and you're going to get nose left and right. Um, but it also gives you more of that negotiating power uh, presence within the room, whatever it is. It's just it's a it's confidence, right? You need to have that confidence that you are you too are looking for the right investor just as they are looking for the right investment. Fantastic. Great advice. Great advice. This has been uh, it truly has been a, a really wonderful conversation and and uh, especially because you love research. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> research um, life. Yes. So, um, Jasmine, why don't you tell the listeners uh, how they can get a hold of you, you know, your website, your LinkedIn, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have blog posts. We have Instagram. We have LinkedIn. Um our, our website is www.pitchgenius.co, so .co, not .com. Um, so please feel free to check us out there um, and definitely connect with us on LinkedIn. That's really where we're more, most active. Um, shoot me a message. Ask for to, to talk. I love, I love, you know, I'm always here to give my time regardless if people can afford the price or not. I, I love speaking with founders who need help. So, um yeah, here if you need me. And I want to thank all of you for joining us at the cafe today. If your business needs a CMO or a senior marketing leadership, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me to find out more about my fractional interim or consulting services. Visit theponzigroup.com. Also on the site, you can find blogs and videos and eBooks or sign up to receive future information or certainly connect with me on LinkedIn. And lastly, please subscribe to this show if you're not already a subscriber. And if you are a subscriber, I encourage you to share it and have others find out about the Business Growth Cafe so they can benefit from this great content that you heard today. You can also subscribe on any major podcast platform and join me, please, next week at the Business Growth Cafe. And Jasmine, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you as well. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.